Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. For many people, the holidays are not the most wonderful time of the year. The stress that comes from trying to make everything perfect can serve as a magnifying glass for everything that isn't. January often brings calls to both marriage counselors and divorce attorneys as people decide they can't spend one more year living in a relationship that is draining. Now, often they see the only choices as living with things as they are or to end the relationship. But before making this life-changing decision, it's important to look at all of your options. And to help you in this process, I'm joined by accredited and child-inclusive family mediator, Louisa Whitney. So Louisa, thank you for being on the show and talking about what's, (laughs) I mean, we're heading into this time of year where like people are hanging on by their fingernails. So thank you for coming on and talking to me today. No, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. So let's start, if we can, with an explanation of exactly what a child-inclusive family mediator is. So what do you do? What is that? (laughs) Okay, so I suppose to understand what child-inclusive family mediation is, you kind of have to understand what family mediation is as well. So Mm -hmm. my role is that When a couple makes a decision to separate, I help them work out, well, what does this mean? What happens next? They might have to make arrangements for their children. Um, They will probably have financial issues to sort out. Who's Mm going to live where? How are they going to make ends meet? How much time will kids spend with mom and with dad? All of that kind of thing. Okay. Well, inclusive mediation is where children are given a voice. So they are able to speak to the family mediator that's working with their parents and they can offload stuff a safe space where they're not going to upset mom, they're not going to upset dad, and they can just say what they feel. Often adults worry about adult issues and children worry about children issues. So it's a way of ensuring their voice is heard and maybe amplified a bit to their parents so that the parents can take that into account in whatever arrangements they're making. Whoa, that is, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, yes. (laughs) And then there's another part of me that's like, Having talked to several children myself of couples that I've worked with, you know, they're really hesitant because, you know, I have yet to hear a child actually say to their parents, you know, we don't really care about your happiness. We want you to keep the family together, even though that's what they're thinking. I mean, I've got I've got a client right now who he and his wife are probably they're headed for divorce and their 16 year old daughter is not happy about it because it's upending her life so i love the fact that the children get a voice that's one of the things i tell my clients most of the time i don't do it for them i'm doing it for their kids so it's kind of the same sort of philosophy so how does this information as a mediator, so the kids come to you and you're talking to the parents and you're talking to the kids, how do you not break the kids' confidentiality and trust, which is critically important, but to still get that information to the parents? Yeah. And that's a really, really important part of the process. So 
for obvious reasons, there are a great many safeguards around the process. Okay. Firstly, it, it only takes place if both parents are happy with it and the, and the children are on board with it. Um, and I think sometimes it's important to say to parents, you know, you can offer your children this because mm-hmm. they might want it. But if mm-hmm. they don't, that's totally OK. Um, and anything the children say to the mediator is confidential. What we then do is talk to the children about what messages they want fed back to mum or dad or both of them. Okay. So the messages come in their children's in the children's own words and the mediator doesn't add to them, doesn't interpret them. They just get the messages that the children want passed on in their own words. So that's really important that the children know that I can offload all this, but actually the one thing that I'd really just like you to tell mum and dad is this or the three things, whatever it might be. So what are some of the most important things a couple needs to think about if they're considering a separation and especially with this information? I mean, are there are there um, categories of things that kids want their parents to know kind of more generalities or or, or is it case specific? I, I think there's some things, but I, I think there's also a lot of case specific stuff. Okay. Um, and I think one of the really the hardest things for parents is that when you're supporting your children, often you're drawing on previous life experience. So if your child has a problem with maybe another child at school or they're struggling with some work, you're drawing on previous life experience that you have to give them some support. Mm-hmm. But with divorce and separation, you're often going through it exactly the same time as your children. So it's still often really, really raw. Mm-hmm. So whereas you'd like to react from a place of, <laughs> yes, I've thought about what you're thinking. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. They just react from a point of view of that's really raw and out you pushed a button and they've just mm-hmm. gone. Right. So I think one of the things that I'd really highlight is that Yes, it's important to sort out all of the arrangements and all the things that are going to come from separation. But actually, first and foremost, what you need is to be okay and to take some time to heal, to get support. That is absolutely crucial so that you when you come to talk about what happens next, you are coming at it from a place of having done a bit of healing, not feeling quite so raw. And whilst there might be kind of interim arrangements you make just so you can hold things to give you both space to think about it, the bigger decision should be left for when you feel more equipped to do so. And decisions about your children are some of the most important decisions that you're going to make. There was an interesting survey done in the UK a few years ago, and it comes into what you were saying before, Leslie. Firstly, that a whopping, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was over 80% of children said they'd rather their parents separated rather than just stayed together for them. Mm -hmm. And there was also a significant percentage, I think it was something like two thirds, who said that their parents just didn't talk to them about the separation. So they didn't know what was going to happen. And often kids know a bit about separation. They've got friends or there's Mm -hmm. people in their class that have been through separation. So their view is often informed by that. So if they know one of their friends went through separation and then they didn't get to see dad very much, the children may worry that they're not going to see dad very much. So they often Mm -hmm. hold these worries and they don't know who to talk to about them. Right. I mean, and, you know, and it's interesting, um, you know, as my parents got divorced when I was a teenager, I have worked with lots of teens, um, you know, and, and again, of course, obviously the age of the child matters because first off, they have to be able to verbalize their thoughts and feelings. Um, And so, you know, but again, it's, you know, it's so hard because it, it, 
it makes children have to deal with adult things maybe earlier than we would like them to. And, and again, you know, they don't necessarily have a full understanding of, of the complications of intimate relationships. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of flying blind. So what are some of the concerns that, that kids tend to have? Yeah, and I think it's important to stress that this is not in any way a kind of interview with children. It is very much a kind of, here are some toys, let's play with some toys, let's right. play with some, you know, fidget spinners, we might doodle, they might have a snack. And it's very much, you know, you know that I'm working with your mum and your dad, and they think your um, views are really important, and they mm -hmm. want me to talk to you so that they can hear what it is you have to say. And sometimes there might be a lot of stuff. Sometimes there might just be, you know, I know they're doing their best and I'd really like them to know that they're doing their best. Or it might be, I'm okay, but actually there's a completely separate issue that is really causing me an issue. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's, um, one of the things I've seen is, um, in this case, it was dad, the children weren't spending so much time with dad. And when they did spend time with dad, he was really trying to make it really special with lots of activities and lots of things crammed in. Right. And actually one of the things that they said was, could we just do less? Could we right. just hang Could we sit down? Could mm -hmm. we just not be doing stuff all of the time? You know, it's stuff like that, that often parents are doing their best, but they don't often always see it from the perspective of the children and what it feels like to be doing that. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, and... So who are the kids who are most likely to take advantage of this opportunity? I mean, is there an age range? You know, is it, you know, how do, how, how do they, how do they actually, you know, and, and then of course, some of it is also maybe the kids who could benefit from the most are, are having the parents who don't want them to talk about it. So, so tell me a little bit more about the, about the mechanics of it. Yeah. So, as a rough guide, a sort of general rule, it's usually available for children who are 10 and up. Okay. But it's not cast iron. And for the simple reason that, say, for example, you've got a family and you've got a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, mm -hmm. it would be really unfair to say to the 8-year-old, well, your siblings can come and have a chat, but you can't. <laughs> um, so, you know, and the 8-year-old may have more to say than the 13-year-old and the 11-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why the, the, it isn't absolutely set in stone. You know, you may have a very mature nine-year-old who really wants to talk about things. You know, you could have a 12-year-old that really doesn't want to and thinks that it would be the worst thing in the world and doesn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why the age is, you know, it's there as a rough guide. And if both parents agree, what happens is I, as the mediator, would contact the children in a a child-friendly way. I mean, I'm quite a fan of the letter because I always think like children don't really get post and parents right. just moan about post because it's all bills and rubbish stuff. <laughs> so actually to get a letter in like a funky coloured envelope can actually mm -hmm. be quite an exciting thing. And then it helps them to understand a bit more about it. Um, and there are there are rules that are in place, such as mum and dad aren't allowed to tell them what to say or to coach them, and they mustn't ask them afterwards what they said. Mm. And that can be quite empowering for children when they know that their parents have been told, no, you can't talk to me about that. Mm -hmm. You know, particularly for the slightly older children, there's a, you know, being able to say the mediator says you mustn't do that if they ask questions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
So what are, what are some of the concerns that the kids bring up? I, I don't think it's characterized so much as concerns. Okay. Um, I think adults tend to look at things from a very adult perspective. So <laughs> adults often get really hung up on, well, I think I should have another night with the children in the week and it should be three nights in the week and not two nights in the week and things mm-hmm. like that. Whereas children often worry about, okay, well, but if I'm not with dad, will I still be able to do that thing with dad that we always do that I quite enjoy? Uh Or things like if I forget my PE kit and I've got PE at school, am I going to get a detention? Or if I don't have a hairbrush at one parent's house and um, my hair looks really awful, are my friends going to tease me? Uh Often practical steps like that sometimes there are the more serious stuff you know the kind of well I really wish that they would stop being mean to each other and stop um you know um being (sighs) degrading each other but there's also things I think that can come out of the blue I always remember um on my training there was a case where um a boy had stopped going to see mum and their parents were uh, you know falling out over it because they thought one parent was influencing the children and uh-huh. the other parents said that wasn't the case. And actually what it turned out was that this child was sleeping in a room where there was an elderly family pet and he was worried that he was responsible for this pet who'd gone a bit sort of um, had some kind of older age issues. And mm-hmm. it, he was really concerned that, that if something happened while he was there, that was going to be his responsibility. And, you know, nobody could have predicted that that mm-hmm. would be the thing that was being worried about, but they hadn't been able to share that anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it, you know, and it is truly interesting because it, it can be very difficult to remember what it was like to be 8, 10, 12. I mean, you know, we can't, Absolutely. we can't unknow what we know. And so it it's, it's very easy to project our own stuff onto the kids when, when you're actually talking about, you know, oh, it, this is just highly practical. And, and, you know, and what does this, what does this look like? Um, is there, does mediation deal with any kind of the emotional stuff? Or is there a recommendation that, that if there's some emotional, well, there's always emotional, we'll, we'll get to a little bit to that question in a little bit. But, um, you know, is, is that covered in mediation or is that more of a counseling therapy type yeah. of issue? It's a good question. I mean, separation mm-hmm. is, of course, emotional. And some of the issues that keep people stuck are emotional ones. They're not mm-hmm. legal or financial ones. So I'm not therapeutically trained. And even for mediators who are therapeutically trained because they were couples counsellors and then became mediators, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be appropriate to be doing therapy in mediation. So it's something that I certainly flag with my clients at the outset. I ask them whether they've had counselling, whether it's something that they are open to, um, what support they have around them, whether there's any other support they would benefit from. And often it's really helpful to be having some kind of therapeutic assistance alongside the mediation process because meetings can feel hard. You know, talking about unravelling all the stuff that you've had together and separating it out, Mm -hmm. that's really emotionally draining at a time when you already feel pretty emotionally drained. So knowing that you've got support around those meetings can be really, really important. And I'm a big believer in people needing to have that healing and that support to help them heal on that journey. Okay, well, that makes sense. So this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. 
I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking to accredited and child-inclusive family mediator, Louisa Whitney, about what couples need to think about before or during a separation. And you know, couples can feel really lost when trying to decide what to do about a marriage that isn't working for one or both of them. And my goal with this show is to try and provide information about options. And if you want to have a better marriage, but don't know what to do to make it better, I invite you to get in touch with me and schedule your five-star relationship call. You can reach me by telephone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can send me an email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. And now I want to get back to this conversation about, you know, um, child inclusive family mediation. So, Louisa, I'm assuming that obviously they can't meet with you until like the step is taken that mom and dad are going to separate. So the kids do do all the kids already know? I mean, and, and is that or is that part of what as a mediator you try to help parents with? How do we tell the children this? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when people come to see me, some have told their children and their children are aware of the situation. Mm -hmm. And some people haven't because what they want to do is to work out what's going to happen next so that when they tell their children, they're then able to explain to them what happens next. Um, and I think one of the fascinating things is that if you if I ask clients, you know, how much are your children aware of? They might say, oh, I don't think they're really aware of it. Uh -huh. But I think often children have picked up on it. Children are hardwired to read mum and dad. They notice when they're not smiling as much. They notice when there's tension. You know, they notice stuff. And that can be worrying for them that, uh -huh. you know, something's going on, even if they haven't been told. Right. Yeah, that's that's always the thing that I, I get. People say, oh, well, they don't know this. You know, they don't know we fight. They don't know this. I'm going, yes, they do. <laughs> They're not telling you about it, but they but they definitely know um, or most of them do not. Not everybody. But I mean, and I think that's one of the things why when you know it can come out of the blue for kids when when parents are effective co-parents and there's not a lot of tension or argument or you know, fighting, you know, kind of, kind of discord in the house, kids, kids can, this can catch kids by surprise. So how, how are children impacted during this time? What, what are the things that they, that they're thinking that they're concerned about that they're afraid of maybe? Yeah. And I think, it, you know, there's different worries that they go through as this period unfolds. So it might start with things don't seem right between mum and dad. I wonder mm -hmm. what's going on there. I wonder what this means. Mm -hmm. Are they going to get divorced? Is this going to happen? And then what that might mean for them. Then once they know about it, then there can often be, you know, a lot of concerns that come up. What does it mean for your relationship with each parent? How much mm -hmm. are you going to see them? Does it mean that you're going to spend less time with each parent? Does it mean you might go a long time without seeing each parent? You know, particularly for younger children, you know, three sleeps can feel like an eternity. So it right. can be quite a long time. 
I think it also can be impacted by what their experiences have been of separation. Have they seen that within the family? Have they got friends? Um, that can really inform their thinking on that. And um, I agree with you that children who have had the impact really minimised because their parents haven't fallen out, it can be a bigger shock for them. Um, which almost feels like a bit of an irony, doesn't it? Because the mm -hmm. people that have really managed to keep it peaceful are the people whose children are really shocked. But often that's the initial thing. And with support and love and care, you know, they come through it okay. Well, I mean, you and you said something which, you know, I always, I mean, because I generally work with the parents, not, not, not so much with the kids, but, you know, this idea and, and you know, this idea of, a separation automatically means I'm not going to see either my children or my or both my parents every day. I mean, by by definition, that's that's what it means. And you know, I mean, it, it's interesting because you know, I've brought up the the concept of nesting, which is where the kids stay in one place and the parents move in and yep. out. And, you know, and, and when, and I, and I usually, you know, there's usually a bristling from the, from the adults when I suggest that. And I said, but you're asking, that's what you're asking the kids to do is to keep constantly moving back and forth. Is that not disruptive? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, actually, because I think that um, nesting has been a touch more common over in the US where you are, okay. um, it, it hasn't been very common here at all. But that's not to say that I haven't dealt with people. I mean, I've been dealing with separating couples for 20 years. <laughs> and there, you know, there has always been the odd parents who have done that. And for mm -hmm. them, it's really worked. And for them, it just makes sense. Well, why would we disrupt our children? We can just move in and out. Mm -hmm. um, and But there is, as you said, a great reluctance amongst parents to be kind of moving in around. It, <sighs> I think the reluctance partly comes from how you manage it. So if you have the family home and then you've got one other place that you're both sharing, you're constantly in and out of each other's space and having mm -hmm. to deal with, you know, if one person's left washing up and all of these kind of difficult issues. Right. But I think what it means to me overall is the question is not, right, what do other people do? You know, what is this? The question is what will work for our children? Because your children are people that have, particular needs they have particular personalities what is it that would work for them what do they need from you during this time and I'm a big believer in trying to create something that would work for them you know even if it's unconventional or even if it's not what other people inverted commas does it's really about what do your children need and what they need now won't necessarily be what they need in two years time or five years time but it's looking at each stage of how they can be best supported by both parents well, and, and, and I love that you said that because, because this is, you know, a, a con continuously changing thing because kids get older and what they need when they're younger is going to be different than what they need when, when they get older and being able to be flexible or understanding um, around that. So as a mediator, do you continue to see people throughout the course of time or do you give them skills that they can use on their own as they go through this process? It's kind of a bit of both. So 
firstly, yes, I would hope that they, through mediation, get the skills to enable them to manage adjustments that they need to make going forward. Mm -hmm. But secondly, they always know that if you do hit a wall in two years time, because, you know, your 14 year old has decided actually they'd much rather see their friends than mum or dad. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty common. Um, yeah. Poor for then, the course. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Normal development. Um, then it helps just to come back to mediation and just talk about things and just try and find a way forward that will work for everybody again. So, I mean, the thing that, you know, mediation sounds great um, for couples who are somewhat on the same page, but in a lot of cases, that's not what's going on. In a lot of cases, it's one partner who wants out and the other partner who wants you know, to, you know, to work things out. Um, so how do you, how does that show up and how does that process impact kids? Yeah. And I think that's a really difficult situation to be in because often they are poles apart in that kind of grieving or recovery cycle, because, you know, one person may have been thinking about ending the relationship for some time. Yes. And the other person, as soon as they're told, I want to separate, that's when their grief cycle begins and they mm -hmm. may well be in shock for a long period of time. I think where that can be a difficult situation is if children kind of pick up on or are given information about the dynamic. Because if you've got kind of, oh, well, you know, daddy wants to end our family or mummy's the one that's tearing us apart, mm -hmm. that can really put kind of the idea of fault in children's heads. And I always say to parents, you know, give information about the practicalities of what's going to happen, but don't try and put any element of fault in your children's mind because, you know, your relationship may have changed, but to your children, you're still mum and dad and they still want to have the same view of you and the same quality time and all those kind of things. So I think that's certainly a scenario where it can be difficult. And it's difficult to go through a really huge grieving process and not you know it's visible it's there it's hard to deal with that and also support your children at the same time so I think that's where you know therapeutic assistance and support and time is really really important for everybody well and I'm so glad you brought up the the, the concept of grieving because first off this should come as no surprise to anybody but we don't all grieve the same way and the other thing is, and you talked about this and, you know, where, where are people in the grief process? Because yes, in, in many cases, one person has been kind of grieving the relationship while they've been in it. And then they get to the point where, okay, I'm done, I'm ready to go. And then the other partner who may or may not know about this, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, um, they start grieving and then the kids have to grieve. You know, so I, you know, I think that may be something that couples miss during this time, but is there anything else that, that couples might not be aware of during, during this, this time of either considering separation or actually starting the process? Yeah, I think that's really crucial to highlight that children go through a grief process as well, because often the focus is just on the separating couples grief. Mm -hmm. um, I think. One of the things that I'd highlight is that, firstly, I think it's really important for children to have a safe space to talk that's away from mum and dad. Mm -hmm. So that might be someone in their school. It might be a um, therapist that they can talk to. You know, 
family and friends can be difficult, but if they've got a grandparent who's able to be really neutral and not take sides and can just be that person that they offload to, Mm -hmm. then I think that can be quite helpful for them to have. But it's really, really important that they have someone that they can just offload stuff to that's not mum and that's not dad and who, you know, won't be asking them questions because they're emotional or things might get difficult. So I think that's really, really important to kind of bear in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that sometimes we get things wrong when we're emotional and we say things or we do things. And it's always a good bit of modelling to say to your children, hands up, I was upset then, I got something wrong. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do things differently going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, which is, I mean, any time that an adult can can own something and apologise to the child, it's... <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, great, you know, because that that is a, a wonderful modeling experience. And, you know, and I think that that is one of the biggest challenges when when it, it's not a mutual decision to end the relationship um, that, you know, being able to manage our own emotions and not putting things on the kids. I mean, I always when I'm working with couples, I said, you know, take the high road. I said, don't 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 say anything negative about your partner. Please don't roll your eyes, slam the phone, whatever it is, because children pick up on this, you know, and, and it's so critical because that, that is the other, your child's other parent. Completely. And I think it's really important to think about the subtleties because often people kind of say, well, I'm not saying anything negative about the other person, (laughs) but actually, as you say, if you roll your eyes or you slightly grimace, Mm-hmm. Um, when the other person says something, kids pick up on that. Right. They're smart. They're hardwired. They know. And they're half mum and half dad. And if mum and dad now hate each other or dad's upset mum or the other way around, you know, there's that kind of internal conflict of what mm-hmm. does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely think that's something that people need to be alive to. I also think if people get to the point of having a new partner, oh. which is often a very, very fraught situation, mm-hmm. but- <clears throat> Please talk about that before you introduce your child to introduce your children, because that awful scenario where one child goes back and says to the other parent, oh, we met mum's new boyfriend today or dad's right. new girlfriend. And the other parent has no notice and doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And then the children learn, oh, this is not a safe topic to talk about with that parent. But if the other parent had had a bit of notice and a bit of warning, then they'd have been able to react in a way that would be more in line with how they'd like to take those conversations forward. Well, and I so love you mentioning that because that's that's the other place where knowing where the children are in their grief process is critically important because if the children are still in the grief process over their family, you know, splitting up and then you introduce this new person and you're all excited about it because, of course, new love and all this other stuff that mm, that <laughs> I, I try to tell people, please don't do that. Um, because it, because the the kids may not be ready for that and not because, you know, not because of, of, of anything about the divorce, but it's like, it's again, yet another stage of this, of this process. Yeah. And they may still be secretly hoping mum and dad get back together again. And if one Mm. of them's got a new partner, Mm. that's like a grief process in itself again, because of the fact that they realize actually that's not happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and and so I guess one of the things that um, I'm assuming that you do because it's it's family centered and child centered is helping 
parents to see like behind behind all the corners behind all the curtains things that might not might not immediately come into their into their own way of thinking because they're they're dealing with themselves they're dealing with the partner and you know if the kids aren't acting up <laughs> then they're just you know it's like okay the kids are okay without anybody actually asking them and so it it sounds as if you one of one of the benefits of this process is to actually get some help in in seeing all of the all of the moving parts of this so is, is that, am i accurate about that yeah absolutely it is about kind of gently asking questions about okay so you know you've got this view that things would would work a certain way how would that feel for your children you know what would they like about that what might be and kind of unwrapping it a little bit to look at it one of my particular bugbears is parents of teenagers who say oh yeah well they're not talking but they're a teenager so they wouldn't <laughs> and it's like a whole swathe of behavior is just written off to teenagers and all these teenagers could really just desperately do with talking to someone right. but no one talks to them because they can't start the conversation because they're teenagers right well i mean and and the other thing about teenagers is i mean i i once had two teenagers 16 and 14 court ordered to me about their custody arrangement and i wanted to talk to the judge going do you have teenagers? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like this is the last group you want to be enforcing some, you know, ar- I don't want to call it arbitrary, but you know, this is you dealing with teenagers. I know a lot of people do this. They think, oh, we'll wait until the kids are older, everything will be great. It's like, yeah, not necessarily. They they come with their own set of challenges. Um, you know, but but it is important, I think, to to what you're saying to allow you know everybody who's impacted by this to have a voice, even if it isn't doesn't necessarily change the overall outcome. At least it might change the specifics of it. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And it you know even if it doesn't change practical realities, it may change their experience of it. Right. Because because they feel heard, they feel seen, they feel acknowledged. And a lot of times nobody even asks kids, how are you doing with this? Um, so, Louisa, exactly. thank you so much for sharing this. Can you give people some information about where they might be able to find you? I, I realize you're across the pond, but um, I'm assuming that there is there's uh, similar things available you know, at least in, in, you know, both in Europe and in the United States and Canada and, you know, the these areas where where this is going on. Yeah. So you can find me via my website, which is lkwfamilymediation.co.uk. Or you can find me on Instagram. I'm louisa.whitney.1 or on Twitter at Louisa Whitney. And the LKW Family Mediation Practice also has a Facebook page as well. So any of those places would be a great place to come and see what I've shared. Terrific. Well, thank you so much. And the truth is marriage is often more difficult than it needs to be. Mostly this is because people don't fully understand all the moving parts, but there are ways to make things better and lots of ways to learn how to do that. But you have to take the first step. And my advice is don't wait too long. The sooner you act, the sooner things can get better. And so hopefully one of the things that you will continue to do is to continue to listen to this show. And until next week, stay loving.